Hello there, my name's Matt Rogan. Um, I've worked in sport for the best part of 25 years and on the basis of that, the Oxfordshire cricket team asked me to uh, asked me to take a, a guest role interviewing today. Um, more relevantly for this podcast, I'm a, a dad of, of a couple of kids in the pathway. I've got an older son, aged nearly 13, and a daughter, nearly 10, both of whom playing in the pathway. Um, I also don't know an awful lot about cricket, so so my kids are the, are the first ones in the family to be anywhere near a cricket pitch, uh, and our allegiances go to go to Aston Rowan. Uh, but hopefully I can string a sentence together because um, what we're going to hope to do today is is understand a little bit more about the Oxfordshire system and about view on talent in that system. Um, and the guys have been brave enough to ask me to introduce and interview another Matt, Matt Barnes, the performance cricket manager at Oxfordshire Cricket, who, who joined the organisation in November 17. Um, so by the wonders of technology, hopefully, Matt, you're there too. I am Matt. Great to see you on hosting our podcast. <laughs> yeah, an early thank you from me. Well, we haven't done the interview yet. You might not say that at the end, but let's give it a rattle and um, and see how we go. So, uh, like all good stories, uh, if I'm going to interview you, we should we should probably start right at the beginning. So, to take me way back um, to when Matt Barnes was a mini Barnes, um, sporty family. What what kind of an environment did you grow up in yourself? So I grew up in a family of four, two brothers and a sister. My dad played cricket at a local cricket club, not to a particularly high standard. He probably won't thank me for saying that on the podcast. Um, <laughs> but we were really fortunate that our early upbringing was fairly diverse in the activities that we were uh, provided opportunities to engage with of a similar age to to, to play with, but also just in the terms of the background of sports that we, we played. Um, growing up playing cricket from a young age, watching, started by watching my dad playing at the local club, playing football for the, the local village side, um, ended up playing in goal, that was my thing, but also other sports. So we, we were really fortunate to learn to swim from, from a young age. And actually I found music was something that, now looking back was really helpful i started by playing the recorder at lower school which i think many people would have done yeah but also playing playing the flute and continuing to do that for a number of years alongside learning to read and write music singing in a choir i've actually sung in a, a church in woburn which there's a something for people out there to give me a bit of grief about um, there you go so it's really quite diverse and learning to read and write music, learning to swim, engaging in or well, loving PE and doing athletics, playing cricket, playing football. Whilst cricket was definitely my thing from a young age, it was good that we were able to do so many things. And I would certainly encourage that to all parents. And one day, if, if my time comes, you'd be wanting to, to make sure that kids are engaged in as much broad activities you can certainly in those sampling years did you like, did you play those right the way through or, or did you did you specialize in cricket or take cricket up more seriously at some point in that in that childhood so i think i fell into the game primarily by my my dad who used to play at the local cricket club uh, westerning cricket club that's 
sadly no longer um, a team. Um, we used to to watch him play. Um, I started scoring from a young age. I remember fielding in the game at um, a very young age, running from fine leg to fine leg. And from there, we gravitated down to our local club, which is about a mile down the road. So from eight, nine, ten, cricket was something that was was early in in our sporting lives. But it wasn't just cricket. Yeah, we'd also play football. Um, again at the at the local team, but they were the two that sort of captivated me from a young age. On top of obviously swimming and, and music, and and then over time moving into enjoying golf uh, and enjoying PE at, at school as well. So athletics, cross country, um, were my were my areas of interest. What, what do you enjoy playing now? What... So now I actually spend time on the golf course. Oh, okay. Um, I found that it's been a, a new challenge for me to, to get my teeth into, to the pursuit of trying to get the handicap down as many golfers out there across the world are trying to do. Um, but it's been quite a nice change from spending a, a long time playing the game, but also working within cricket as well. I think it's been really helpful to find find a release, but actually find something that that I really enjoy doing. So... Yeah, the golf course is is where you'll find me when when I get a chance to get out there. So was was Mini Barnes a a batter, a bowler, a keeper? You know, what did you what did you do through your cricket career, and where did it take you as a kid? Bat, batting was always my was always my area of interest. Bowling was never my strongest uh, forte. I think there'll be a few people out there potentially listening that would agree with me when I say that. Um, but fielding and batting were were my things, and actually. I really fell into a love for practice. That's something that I've always enjoyed and that search for trying to be better. I'd spend lots of time hitting balls, practicing, going to the nets with lots of different people, finding access to bowling machines. And I think it's through that love of practice that I I just wanted to keep playing. And did did you play in um, sorry no, did did you play in a pathway yourself? So were you part of a junior? talent structure of some sort or yeah so my um my pathway was through bedfordshire cricket mm-hmm. i started playing i trialed from a young age i didn't get into anything until uh, until uh, under 14 was my first year as a county age group player okay i played a little bit at under 13s but nothing to a, to a great extent so um i suppose in some ways slightly later into the system rather yeah. than those that, that get in from a young age. And then we were really fortunate under 15s to have a, a strong side. We won the county championship, which was a, a really a success story through those age groups into the seven under 17s and then, and then further on into, into the second team and a few years after that into, into playing the first team as well. So, yeah, fairly fairly late in, I suppose, compared what, to, to others. What number were you batting, typically? So this is where it's uh, an interesting point of conversation. So I primarily spent a, a lot of my childhood opening the batting. Okay. So they so, weren't, you weren't moved around the order or anything? You were very much, you're an opener, you're an opener. Yeah, I think it was something that I enjoyed because I had more time and the types of players that I... 
I enjoyed to watch kind of fitted with that profile. But I would say it's very much driven by being one of the stronger players or the strongest player at your cricket club in short formats. You generally occupy the spaces at the top of the order. And then the coaches within um, the county system putting you as an opener all the time. So it's probably something that I ended up falling into as much as something that I enjoyed. But it certainly wasn't very diverse in terms of where I played. If you look back on on your own career, do you wish you had a a chance to mix it up a little bit more or, or enjoyed doing what you enjoyed doing? I think that's a really interesting question because... It's easier in hindsight <laughs> now as a, as a coach and all the information that you have. I think it would have been really powerful for me as a young player to have had time batting in different positions. The young um, Matt that was playing probably wouldn't agree. <laughs> He'd probably say, no, you, you can open because you'd get more time. Um, but actually being able to develop a more rounded game, I think it would have really helped. However, what... I was fortunate to have is the real support of my cricket club playing. I played men's cricket from a really young age, playing in the first team from 15, but actually not playing as an extra player, playing as playing in the capacity as someone who can influence the game. So batting three, four, five opening. And I think those experiences really helped accelerate my development but also gave me some of that role challenge of starting against spin or coming in at five when the guys that have opened have been in for a long period of time so actually i'd actually also say i fell into that slightly as well by by moving through the teams fairly quickly and other players um, occupying positions I guess you you fill a space yeah. um, where there's a gap, but certainly playing third team and second team, whilst I wasn't in either of those teams for very long, I was opening from those from a young age, which was probably a good thing because I spent a lot of time, as much time as I, I possibly could do opening. Obviously, sometimes you don't last too long out there. <laughs> so, so if you um, if you look back at your own time playing, was there a was there a coach or, or a team manager or somebody who, who you think particularly shaped your view of, of talent or your view of, of kind of how you like to be coached? I think I was always inquisitive about, about practice yeah. itself. I think that comes from that real passion for practice and wanting to improve. And I think that first year when I got into the county age group as an under-14, it's a coach called... Lee Butterworth that really put faith in me and saw some potential uh, that might come out of out of my game and I guess that gives you some real real confidence um, but I think it was more a case of finding my way finding my way over time yeah so I probably didn't really start to achieve my potential until much much later on um, actually, having gone away and played cricket overseas, where did you I go? Struggled. Uh, I played tw- two years in Australia and then and two years in New Zealand, and those experiences were were brilliant. I, I, didn't, I would say I didn't do particularly well in the first couple of years, so it was a real challenge. But 
had some real success in New Zealand and that was a sort of a springboard for some of the outcomes, the outcomes I was able to achieve. Um, I suppose slightly later on. And, and at what point did you decide actually that, that a career in the sport was, was something you wanted to pursue on the, on the coaching side? Was that while you were away or when you came back or how did you fall into the kind of space that you're in now? So I never, I never envisioned coaching. Um, although my mum would tell the story that from a young age, I would tell everybody that I would never need to drive because I'd be a professional cricketer and they would drive me around everywhere. <laughs> um, how wrong she was <laughs> looking back now, but architecture and graphic design and moving into that space was what I always wanted to do. I fell into coaching really through wanting to go and, and play overseas and, and seeing that coaching would be something that would add value to the clubs that I could possibly go to. And then the club I was at were kindly part funded my level two. But from there, it really became something that I, I enjoyed um, coaching you know, in a club scene to start with. And then moving into to some early roles with Bedfordshire Cricket, South Canterbury Cricket, and then fortunately starting a full-time role with North Ants in, in 2010. So having... And I guess it probably dovetailed with that real love for, for practice and seeing lots of different environments and coaching then became something that I was really passionate about. So if, if we move the, the story on then to, to September 2017, um, you're joining Oxfordshire having been at at a, another county in North Ants. When you joined Oxfordshire in the performance cricket manager role, what, what were the, there were sort of two or three things you thought maybe Oxfordshire needed or that were particular um, passions of yours you wanted to bring to the county? What, what would they have been? That's a, that's a really good question. I, I felt at the time that it was a, a really good opportunity for me to to take on a greater role and to be able to impart more of, of my vision for what I, I think talent development systems uh, can look like, largely shaped by the people that I've been fortunate to, to learn from and work with, the experiences I've, that I've had and my own learning through level three and level four. Um, and I, I suppose I saw it very much as, as a new challenge mm -hmm. coming from a slightly different system into a, a now national county uh, structure. Um, the success of Oxfordshire in the past has been evident and those people that have worn the the jersey before me have obviously done a good job in producing some of the players that have gone on to be successful. Um, so initially it was very much a case of trying to understand more around, more about what was currently being done and then slowly trying to impart some of my own ideas. And if there were a couple of those things maybe that, that have, you've changed or that have evolved over the course of the, the first couple of more regular cricketing seasons, you know, what, what, what do you look back on and say, OK, well, those couple of things you'd hope have made a real difference? Well, I think one of those would definitely be trying to um, evolve the system so that it provides more, more opportunity 
for a longer period of time for for more players trying to sh- make a shift away from i suppose early specialization and, mm-hmm. and early selection understanding that that talent develops over time and um, there's a really good quote from a, a talent development book by uh, dave collins that talks about talent developing over time in response to to quality coaching and the environment and it's something that we've looked to try and do to to help players develop um so i'd say that's sort of been a real success whilst also trying to find the right system that will enable all players to develop i think taking a slightly wider view on what the outcomes look like understanding that it's not just about producing the future professional players and and academy players actually we're trying to produce a, a big pool of players that can populate club cricket our representative teams and that's taken a little bit of time because it's been a slight um cultural or strategic change to delay selection so moving back time frames for selection to later phases increasing the number of players that we've got at certain times trying to find that stretch point of capacity i think i look back and and actually we've done we've done well as a group of coaches to be able to achieve that to, to give us a, a sense i mean i I guess one of the strange things as a parent is you only see the sessions that your kids are in. Um, uh, looking across girls in particular, but also the boys, I have a sense that um, there are more kids involved in those sessions, or certainly there were this year starting off than, than there maybe have been previous years. Is that true or is that just sort of a too small set of evidence? No, that, that that would be correct. So we've tried to, certainly through what's what's known in Oxfordshire's Stream B, we've tried to to coach more players. So that means more sessions for as long as po- long a period of time as possible, mm-hmm. but not wanting to detract away from providing environments that that help players to get better. So it hasn't been a case of bundling as many kids as possible into a sports hall we've done that within the parameters that we want looking for six to one coaching ratios and and sticking to that even though we've increased the the number of players in the in the sport in the number of players who are in the system so six to one sort of way what you aim for because i'm imagining that gives you gives the kids a chance to bounce off each other but also gives them enough of personal attention they need to grow is that broadly right yeah, certainly from a group coaching point of view, six to one, I think, so it is a, is a good outcome yeah. uh, to achieve. And it, as you say, it's 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 not one to one, and we can't lie about that. But it's as I think it's a good good platform for us to be able to provide good experiences for our players. Well, I was doing my uh, research for this. I, I kind of got nosy and ended up having a look at Companies House with the Oxfordshire cricket accounts, and you know, I hadn't realised quite how close to the bone it is in terms of trying to make the numbers add up and things and um in fact or not add up in some occasions when when maybe you you know at the end of the year so it's a red number showing how tough is it to get that balance between pricing it so you can you can make it work (laughs) just about but at the same time trying to make it as inclusive as possible in terms of the number of kids that can afford to get involved 
Yeah, it, it is. It is a challenge. Um, it is certainly a challenge because we want the program to be affordable and to be as inclusive as we possibly can to provide these opportunities for players to thrive and, and progress as whichever way they do. Um, but also understanding that there are a lot of costs associated to running talent pathways from from coaching to venues to equipment and perhaps some of those things aren't always always taken into account um but yeah it can be it, it's a it's a tricky tricky a tricky balance so if anyone runs a company that's got a couple of hundred grand up their sleeve it'd be good to hear from them right yeah i think our <laughs> marketing commercial manager nick pinhole would um certainly support that view um, <laughs> And actually, we think that the quality of experiences that we're able to provide are, are are good, and anything that we could do to to help improve that through potential sponsorships would be would be fantastic. Sure. So, so um, I've spent enough time in in small organisations to know that um, it's mandatory to be able to to mend the photocopier, make the tea, and do everything else, including run the business. Like what? what 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 is what is your role stop and start so what is it but more importantly in some ways what isn't it and where do you have to hang the laptop up and say okay my work is done for the day or the evening so i suppose a general um, overview would be that my role includes managing all of the the performance programs largely geared in towards the the pathway and the emerging players programs mm -hmm. but also reaching wider than that in terms of providing a coach development program for our coaching workforce to continue their development, running parental engagement or working with parents workshops for people just like yourself to, to help um, increase our connectedness with our parents, but also to support them and, increase understanding through the, yeah. the pathway journey. So there are some areas um, alongside, as well as the budgeting associated with, with programs and, and line managing the staff of um, Alex Westbury, our performance coordinator, who's done a fantastic job since she's been in post uh, and also Nick Pinhole too. And then a general day to day, um, some unsocial working, it's fair to say yeah. with, um, Obviously, a large number of the players, or all of the players rather, at school or at work. So the evenings occupy my time from the perspective of delivering the Emerging Players Programme on Tuesdays and Thursdays for the boys and now um, on a Monday for the girls. And then our t uh, talent development pathway sessions take place primarily between a Friday and a Sunday. So... Yeah, again, there's some, some working across one of those days or, or both days, depending on depending on various yeah. things. So it's um, well, it's fairly it's a fairly large um, covering role in terms of responsibility. Which bit do you enjoy most, and which is which is the most challenging? Apart from managing Nick, of course. Uh, well. Nick's doing a brilliant job. I'm really, really fortunate, actually, with Nick. He's, you can let, set him up and, and let him go. He doesn't need 
too much help. But in terms You're only of saying that because he's editing this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hopefully he'll edit the podcast kindly for us, that's for sure. Um, in terms of challenges, obviously the question that you asked earlier on is is an ongoing challenge to try and to try and do that on an annual basis whilst wanting to evolve and advance it and find ways to continuously improve what we can offer. The challenges of managing a large uh, coaching team between 35 and 40 coaches. Uh, some weekends you're looking at 66 hours of activity plus the evenings. Um, this year, COVID had a bit of an impact, but we'd, we'd planned to deliver about 1,200 hours worth of contact time across the across various programs, including EPP and, and County Men. So my assumption is this year you've ended up having to learn how to be a head of HR as well through that process, have you? Yeah, there's been some there's been some HR work that's obviously been added in given the, the context yeah, yeah. that we're, we're all facing, which has been on a personal perspective, it's been it's been good to evolve. It's not something that we certainly set out expecting to do um in october when we started the program it certainly had had some challenges and a chance to to learn and actually moving into this space of podcasts showing a bit of vulnerability it's not something that i'd say i'd naturally gravitate towards and it's for us it's, it's something that's come out of the the challenges that we face and actually could end up becoming a real success for us. yeah i know and i'm guessing just thinking quickly about the the sort of people management point, the, the key thing there, I know from sort of the organisations I'm close to is is actually the way in which you handle those conversations, you would hope in the long term creates a sense of loyalty and cohesion and things, even though some of them can be tough conversations to have in the short term. Um, you know, you can do it in a perfunctory, fairly matter-of-fact, uncaring type way, but when the world comes back, you know, you need, you're going to need a team of 35 to 40 people still there. Absolutely, and that's one of the things in our our business continuity plan that was setting out to look to look after the people. And as you rightly say, we we're going to need those coaches to be to be there for us again when when we yeah, return yeah. back to some normality. Well, but actually, there's a responsibility for us to to try and help them as much as we can um, through some challenging times. For sure. Um, okay, let's change change tack a little bit then to to kind of wrap up this 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 podcast um if you ask somebody let's say at the ecb um you know what what's what's different about the way that oxfordshire manage their talent development do you think to to any other of the minor or indeed major counties or sussex who we're partnered with what do, what do you think they would say you know what's different in terms of what i as a parent notice compared to to parents in any other county that is a very, very good question. Difficult to answer, given that I can't speak on behalf of yeah, yeah. <laughs> the ECB or, or others. But I think what you do see is, is some difference across the country, depending on geographic landscapes, needs, size of talent pool, resources, etc. Um, I'd like to think that they would say that given the um, availability of resources and a scale of resources that we have that we're we're doing a good job at, in providing opportunities for players to maximize their their own potential and, and kick on um 
And I think actually that's also reflective of the size of programme that we're running and the coaches that we've got. I feel like there's some really good momentum around what we're trying to do. And with all pathways, you're very much looking to steer it based upon experiences, but also research too. So it's not, there's some evidence behind what we're trying, what we're trying to achieve. And I think that, that would be reflected on some of the feedback that we would get that understanding that talent development develops over time and people can develop late. Some do specialize early trying to consider all those factors. I think we're, we, we are, that we will get that feedback if, if we ask the question. So, so if you think about the next, I mean, we, we maybe we'll get together another time and talk about, what the future holds when when we're a little bit clearer in terms of direction from government and the and the ECB. But if you think about on a, on a real macro level, what do you what do you think over a sort of two, three, four, five year horizon the real growth areas for cricket in this county will be? If you if you look forward, what are some of the things that make you most excited for the long long term? Well, I definitely think there's going to be a shift in towards the digital space in terms of how we can connect with people in the county mm -hmm. be it parents and that for us might look like the streaming of matches so it's more accessible i think there'll be some movement from a coaching front as well in terms of there already has been in terms of using coaching platforms but i think that that will certainly evolve from a a scouting perspective but also from a player development point of view um, and then really for us, it's definitely, in some cases, trying to continue the work that we're trying to do, that we want to try and produce those thriving club or school players as much as we want to produce the professional academy players that can perform really successfully in our county men and women or, or kick on to, to bigger and better things away from us. Um, hopefully we can continue to push on in terms of coach development as well and, and hope and help people to, to improve. But I certainly think in Nick's area, we're, we're going to see some, we're going to see some positive developments that are going to, I suppose, make local cricket more, um, more accessible for, for people to see rather than having to physically be at all the yeah. games. And with my hat on, the thought that we possibly could, or I could sit uh, at a computer and watch the 13s, 14s and 15s boys or 15s and 17s girls playing from the comfort of, of a desk, that would actually be um, fantastic from a scouting point of view. It means that you can see more than just the, the game that you're at. You didn't get to see the comfort of your own home. By the way, you don't you don't get actually spend any time at home yet. <laughs> um, okay, cool. That that makes a lot of sense. Let's let's um let's move towards an end then. If where we start, we finish towards the old older age of the spectrum, older end of the spectrum. Even if you could, slightly unfair question. If you could um, pick out maybe one or a couple of um, of players whose development you've been proudest of, maybe as they've moved into adult cricket. In the time you've been here, who would you who would you pick out? That is a difficult question. Not one, not enjoying um, naming names, but I think you're 
last year was a, a great example of that. We had five players move on to professional academy contracts. Um, some of our girls kicking on with the the Vipers, so the likes of Ellie Noble and Sophie Mitchell Moore moving on and progressing well. That's been a success. There probably would be names that people have recognised yeah. before I've been in, and, and actually there's no shame in that, that they've been able to, to, to move on through some of the work that myself and others have, and many others have done. And then from boys, again, the Price brothers moving on to their contracts, James Coles and Harry Starting moving into academy contracts with Sussex, Luke Charlesworth moving into Gloucester following his brother. I think those outcomes at the top are, are quite exciting and be really interested to see where they end up. Um, further down the tree, Very good. Um, time will tell where some of them are, will end up, but hopefully we can continue to to have some of those kicking on I mean, as well. It's, it's just so powerful as a parent to have stories to tell about that kind of a pathway. You know, for, for my daughter's 10, nearly 10, and got a Lindsay Smith shirt on her on her wall, Who and it's really, you know, one of her England shirts signed we won in an auction. It's really powerful to say to her, you know, well, she learned to play the game in the same nets at Rowan that you're learning in. You know, you, you can't beat that in terms of a... Uh, just something to to get their you know, just get their minds racing um absolutely and from a perspective of girls playing the game now the work that's been done at the ecb for the transforming girls strategy and the, the regional structures that have been put in place it's a really exciting time to be a young female player with ambitions to to kick on and play for England in a potentially slightly uh, different system, but through to into a professional yeah, space, I think for sure, is, which is brilliant. Um, and your point's a really interesting one because often in national counties there isn't the connection, whether well, there isn't a connection to a first class team, and sometimes people can. It does, it feels like you're further yeah. away, whereas if we were. A, in Sussex or at North Ants, and there's a team that you're attached to, you might train at the ground. You see that space more often, but for players in Oxfordshire that don't have that, um, to have people that they can attach to in terms of the likes of Jack Brooks, who's gone on and had a fantastic career, they're actually really important role models for for our young players to, to see it's possible, but also to help with their belief that, that one day it could be them. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, look, a couple of skitty questions to, to finish then. Um, best show or movie about cricket? About yeah. cricket? What do you recommend? I must admit, I'm not a huge TV you watcher. Time, I'm a... You're out and about. No, I'm actually... Best podcast, best anything you'd recommend somebody listen to if they, if they get an hour. Books okay. are my thing. Go on then. Um, so I would definitely be um, pushing those. I would say recently, um, where would I steer people? Depends on what they like. Books I've really enjoyed, In the Game of Tennis by Tim Galway, uh, anything by David Epstein, the recent one, Range, that's been really, really good. I think you're seeing a bit of a, a natural course here of some of the things I like <laughs> reading. But in terms of TV, I think most people would have been spending some time watching The Last Dance. That's been me. Yeah, me over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I've, uh, I'm in slight trouble for 
exposing my son to a new range of language he sat through uh the test the amazon prime series on the aussie cricket team that's amazing okay um final question put your head in this scenario so you open the batting um it's a 40 over game and you're nine down now uh three overs to go you need 32 you're on strike and you can pick any of the pathway coaches to be down the other end who'd you pick any of yeah, the you know, any of the pathway coaches to be in with you do you pick who would i pick Oh, that's a tough call. Depends if you want someone to see it out with you or someone who might be able to finish it. In well, the you tell me. I think Alan Duncan's going to try and finish it off on his own. So take it. <laughs> All right. Well, you've got to get off strike quick then. Um, cool. I'd absolutely be doing that. <laughs> Very good. Well, look, thanks, Matt, ever so much for, for taking time. I thought it was a bit, a bit strange to have the tables turned on you, but... Um, on behalf of all parents, I hope it was uh, as interesting for them as it was for me. It was interesting to get a bit of a sense behind the scenes of the man we see behind the glass coaching our kids. So it's a big thanks to all of us for, for all your efforts and uh, hopefully get to see you on a pitch fairly soon. And thank you, Matt, for being our first guest host and for turning the questions on me. You said at the very beginning that I might not think the questions were so kind when we got to the end. I'll let the wider audiences listening to the podcast make that decision. Uh, and hopefully um, you continue to stay safe. And we look forward to seeing you at some point this summer on a cricket pitch. <laughs>